0: Welcome to the latest c podcast recorded on the 28th of November 2017 on the topic of supervision in pharmacies. For more on pharmacy supervision and for further c podcasts, visit chemistanddruggist.co.uk. We hope you enjoy the debate. Thank you very much, guys, for, for joining us today. Um, hello and welcome to C&D Roundtable Debate on Supervision. Um, I'm Grace Lewis, News Editor of C&D, and I'm joined by my co-chair, C&D Editor James Waldron. Hello. And we have a great panel of speakers, so again, thank you very much for joining us today. Could I just go around the room and um, ask you to introduce yourselves and your role in the sector? So, Mike, let okay. start
1: with you. So, my name is Mike Yeats, and I'm a, an independent contractor in Dorset, but I'm also on the NPA and PSNC boards.
2: Hi, I'm Tess Fenn, I'm the president of the Association of Pharmacy Technicians UK, um, and I'm also a registered pharmacy technician.
3: I'm um, Martin Aspie, so I'm immediate past president of the Royal Pharmaceutical Society, sit on the Assembly and the English Board, uh, vice president of the community pharmacy section for FIP, uh, but most importantly, a community, still, well, I have been all my life uh, since graduating there uh, as uh, RPS, uh, working as a community pharmacist uh, and both in North Wales and in uh, Chester area. I'm
4: John Darcy, I'm Managing Director of Newmark.
0: Okay, yes. um, we received over 300 responses to our survey questions on supervision that we ran um, in the run-up to this debate. So thank you very much to all the senior readers for, for contributing to this debate today. Um, this all included 60 responses from pharmacy technicians, so you'll be pleased to hear Tess. <laughs> um, yes. the, the results of that survey will be revealed in today's debate and we'll make those um, available for afterwards as well. Uh, so that's housekeeping out of the way, um, let's just get the discussion started. So in September 2017, CD exclusively published detailed proposals for current legislation to be amended to allow registered pharmacy professional, such as a pharmacy technician, to supervise the sale and supply of pharmacy and pharmacy-only medicines. These proposals had been submitted to a Department of Health Programme Board tasked with rebalancing medicines legislation. According to the confidential documents, a working group established by the UK's four chief pharmaceutical officers had suggested that pharmacy technicians should, in the pharmacist's absence, be able to undertake the supervision role of determining when medicine supplies can go ahead and overseeing the activities of other non-regulated pharmacy staff. So this is a highly emotive subject and prompted hundreds of uh, comments on the CND website and an eventual response from the Department of Health who stressed that it will consult a range of pharmacy stakeholders uh, including patients and the public before submitting changes to pharmacy supervision legislation. So we're very lucky today to be joined by both a past and present member of the programme board um, to help provide a bit of context to these proposals. So um, I want to start with... Martin, uh, so you were on the board during your two terms as a mm-hmm. RPS president. How did these proposals come about?
3: Uh, so there was working, that working group went away and uh, delivered it. Um, I'm guessing they wouldn't be able to consult particularly widely because it's not, they're not able to do that at, uh, uh, within that. But uh, it was made up of chief pharmaceutical officers, presumably some of them have talked uh, the then president of the RPS, so that would have been Ash at the time, uh, would have sat on on, on that group uh, and came to those proposals. Prior to that, there had been uh, the professions had been asked to by uh, by the uh, the chair to uh, to look at what what suggestions the professions had. So ourselves, ABTUC, and uh, uh, Northern Ireland uh, Association. Uh, to make suggestions of uh, uh, of what we thought uh, might need to change. Uh, and interestingly, uh, they obviously didn't think that, that what we were suggesting was either radical enough or what they wanted to hear, hence the, the working group, the group seemed to come uh, to fruition at a later date and and deliver what they delivered. The one thing I would add in relation to uh, the le- proposed legislation, it states that uh, that it would be open to any pharmacy professionals to supervise. Uh, so that is actually open-ended. So at the moment uh, the interpretation of a pharmacy professional is, uh, or the Department of Health's interpretation is that anyone who's registered is a, uh, is a pharmacy professional. So in the event of uh, anyone else being uh, registered, so if we suddenly register uh, counter-assistance, then counter-assistance would also uh, be healthcare or well, pharmacy professionals by the definition that's being used at present, uh, which would mean that they could also uh, supervise. So I don't know if that's a hand grenade thrown in at the beginning, uh, but that is the way that the way it's presently worded, is it is uh, open-ended for anyone who's registered to actually do that. It doesn't s- specify specifically, or the recommendation wasn't specifically saying uh, pharmacy technicians uh, uh, and pharmacists, it's, it's open-ended.
2: And and Tess,
0: what's
2: your role on the Programme Board? Um, I'm a member of the the, um, Rebalancing Programme Board. Um, I think I would just like to kind of address what has just been said, really, um, and that there are no firm proposals. Um, This is just uh, discussions that are still being had. Um, As you quite rightly said at the beginning, supervision is an emotive subject, um, and it needs to be discussed. Um, very rationally um, and it needs to be um, thought about within safe systems of work and there needs to be um, a safe place for those discussions to take place and that quite rightly is the Rebalancing Programme Board. Um, So I just need to be very clear that there are no proposals so there is nothing to go out and consult on because those proposals have not been firmed up. They are still part of a, a, a wide debate.
0: Thank you very much and and how have um, members of APT UK reacted since these these sort of documents were leaked?
2: I think, um, well from my point of view and from my um, directors um, on the APT UK board and from our national officers that sit on the professional committee, um, we were quite um, alarmed actually and surprised that this document had been leaked. uh, given that it was actually there aren't firm proposals. This was just, a, you know, a confidential document that everybody that was on that rebalancing program board signed up for in the beginning. That this would be a place where dis- discussions could take place, and those documents would be would remain confidential. Um, I think um, in terms of um, in terms of the actual content, it's again it's very difficult to have a a firm opinion about it at the moment because we don't really know what's on the table. Mm -hmm. So it is around thinking about, actually, um, pharmacy technicians are a registered profession. They are governed by the same um, governance uh, through the GPHC as pharmacists. Um, So therefore, how can we use another registered professional within the team to support the delivery of safe patient care so that's where we are at the moment. So there's still a lot of discussion to take place. Um, as with the rebalancing board, APTUK are in listening mode. Um, we are going out and speaking to our pharmacy technicians to get their opinions. Um, but as yet, really, that is still a, a debate that's actually ongoing.
5: Um, yeah, can I just drop in on that point? I know in a minute we're going to come to what CND readers thought of the proposals in principle and specifically. Um, I think Tess made an interesting point there that, um, you know these these proposals aren't even ready to be consulted on because they're in proposal stage, and so kind of reacting too strongly to them maybe is a bit premature. Um, Mike, as someone who's um, uh, you know previously written to the RPS to show concern about um, proposals when they were still you know still rumours, um, do you think that's fair that maybe this is too early for pharmacists to be getting concerned or um, you know f- uh, feeling worried about the repercussions of this when you know as you said these are just proposals, so just uh, plans that one group has written to another group in the DH.
1: Yeah, so I, I understand why why that um, sentiment's come across. I think what concerned me when I first read um, your articles about um, these documents is it appeared to suggest that there was an agreement in principle that, about the direction of travel contained in the documents, and actually uh, it's often too late by the time you get to the stage of a formal consultation to change the outcome. Um, actually, um, because of the way that governments um, and formal consultations work, you often get uh, last-minute tinkering with proposals wh- when you get to the formal consultation. But very rarely do they turn around and make major changes to, to policy at that that stage. So I, I believe it would be too too late to have the discussion when you get to the uh, to that point. So to answer your question, um, James, uh, initially. Um, while the, the proposals may not have crystallised, now is, is the right time to have the discussion in the profession about what um, what good looks like for the future. Um, and um, just just remind me about the second part of your question that there was a, something about. Um,
5: well, I mean, I've, just in terms of is it is it timed. Is this a time to be concerned or to kind of uh, to it's raise your it, voice in you know, opposition or are we still waiting until this consultation materialises? Yeah,
1: so I think the direction of travel has been clear for some time. So um, let me share a frustration with you. So um, the MPA isn't formally represented on, on the rebalancing board. We have asked for years for that to happen. We were represented via um, Pharmacy Voice. Um, but we when we were in that construct actually it was really difficult to get information shared. So. Even to formally put across our, um, our point of view, we weren't able to see the documents that, that were being discussed. So you've got um, representative, um, uh, representations being made on behalf of independent community pharmacies, for example, without necessarily taking the views of independent community pharmacies, which I, I fundamentally feel is, is not the right approach.
3: I'm sure Ash and myself. And I'm sure Tess are probably in the same position where it's been very difficult, uh, where you're having conversations, and even to the extent that if something goes, uh, and what we're having to having to do, because uh, what should be happening very soon will be the uh, the suggestion on the RP changes. Uh, And and superintendent and owner's uh, uh, proposals, and also hopefully fast tracking the hospital pharmacist, decrimp things. That should be the next thing that will come through, hopefully, as this dispensing ever one goes through. Um, But for that, what the certainly RPS has had to do is the representatives who've been there have had to give the opinion of what they believe is the RPS's position. Uh, but they aren't. They haven't been able to totally tie in the the boards uh, for when that consultation takes place. And I'm sure, same within Abtuk, you know, the you you believe, and I'm I'm confident that that some really good proposals being put forward there. Uh, however, if the boards take a different opinion, we have a governance structure. Uh, you, you're not dictators when we go there and sit there. If if you are attending something and you are uh, being restricted on who you can share, that you can't share with the actual governance people who make the decisions, and you can't tie an organisation uh, into that. So it is, it's a difficult situation. I know Ash certainly had uh, difficulties. Uh, I had difficulties when there. Uh, uh, it's uh, you know it's it's not it's an uncomfortable. I don't know if Helen and I'm sure Paul will find it the same. It's it's an uncomfortable uh, place. And I think I don't know if we've written in conjunction with yourself, uh, Tess, uh, that I think Paul uh, and Ash. Have been looking to write again to ask for f- for more transparency, mm-hmm. if possible, in the, in, the, in, go, in going forward with the balancing board. I know that's something that the I think it's either the assembly or the English board have have, uh, have sent uh, have asked Ash and Paul, and they've said they're very happy to go and do that. And whether they'll do it in conjunction with you, mm-hmm. or that, I don't know. Yeah,
2: I'm not sure. Um, I'm, I you know, I hear what you say. Um, When when you when we started the the on you know when we became members of the rebalancing program board it was you know it was very clear that it was a confidential um, board where um, discussions could take place in a safe environment. Um, The we are able to share the principles and the information with our organisations. It's just the actual documents that are not being able to share. So it is a, you are able to go back and talk to your, um, to your board members, um, my national officers. I mean, we've actually um, very recently now set up an internal task and finish group that sits within APT UK to help me actually look at rebalancing, look at the supervision to be able to get a two-way um, communication so that I'm able to go back and be certain that I'm actually delivering the view of APT UK and not just the view of one individual person. So there is that, there is that um, facility to actually do that but it's just the actual documents that were, were confidential.
3: Okay, it might be a different interpretation that RPS has had in comparison to the sales. One of the things I,
1: I find fundamentally frustrating is that uh, actually the non-organisational members of the rebalancing board, so the people who are there um, supposedly representing sort of frontline community pharmacists or frontline pharmacy technicians, um, actually um, they are representative of but not representing um, organisations, which is a is an important difference because. Um, actually I as an individual can give a viewpoint on you know anything I like to give a viewpoint it doesn't necessarily mean it's the viewpoint of any uh, other um, uh, independent community pharmacy or any other um, pharmacy owner for that matter so um, I think you do get a less good outcome if you engage with fewer people or you engage in a closed way and that's what it feels like
2: I'm very conscious that John hasn't had an, had an yeah, opportunity was, to talk yeah, yet, but if I could just respond to that, if that's OK. Um, I mean, the process is that um, the, the, the discussion goes wider at the Partners Forum, and that is the that is the When was plan. the last Forum? Though? Exactly, it was a long time ago, but that's because there is nothing that has been... There's no firm proposals to take to share and discuss. And I don't mean firm proposals in that they're, they're set in stone. This, this is around... Uh, proposals that are available uh, that can go forward for discussion. My understanding is that there is a Partners Forum planned um, for um, the new year and that will be an opportunity. But as as Martin said, that's around the next stage of the the hospital um, dispensing errors um, work and also uh, looking at the responsible pharmacists, the owners, superintendents, um, and that, I think, is giving the arena to then actually go forward with uh, a meaningful supervision discussion because it's around the governance of everything else. It's just not a supervision in isolation. It's with the package um, around the, you know, de- the um, dispensing errors, legislation within all the sectors and also the governance around the responsible pharmacist and the owners yeah. and the superintendents. Exactly.
0: Fantastic. Thank you very much for your opening comments. That, that might be a good place to sort of bring in some of the results from our survey that we've
4: ran. But can I just say something? Of
0: course you can. <laughs> I think
4: the the I think the, uh, what intrigues me is we've been spending... we spent This is a typical pharmacy discussion. We've spent 20 minutes on a debate, on supervision, talking about the process. Mm-hmm. We haven't mentioned the issue once.
2: Mm-hmm. I
4: should be invited, they should be invited, it should be this, it should be that. And really, and I say this, I'm not being trite, I say this because... What tends to happen with these things is the Department of Health does have a view, clearly has a view. Now, I don't know how that document got leaked, whether somebody leaked it deliberately, whether they leaked it or whatever, but they clearly have a view. And we want to duck that as an issue. They have that view, and we don't seem to want to address it. What we want to do is to argue about the size of the committee, the size of the table, who's sitting in what place, or whatever. The real substantive issue is, actually, what are we going to do with supervision? And. Mm-hmm. If that's a measure of what's happening around that table, I can see why they're getting frustrated. That's what I'd say.
3: But I think there's an even bigger issue that, certainly when I came back to the and board, that I felt hadn't been properly addressed, and that was that, what were they actually trying to solve? Well, I, feel, I believe that they'd that's, come that's, up that's, with a solution yeah, of yeah. what was being proposed, but no one was actually saying that what was actually you were trying to do. There's the eclectic one of we want to do pharmacists to do more clinical services. we want a better use of skill mix. Well, that's got nothing to do with that's, the supervision
4: law. That's, no, I agree with you, and that's where I get to on it. If, if you're wanting, we'll probably get into it later on, but if you're wanting to alter supervision, whether you want to change or whether you want to mm. move it or whatever you want to do, if you want to do that, why are you wanting to do it? Mm. And a bigger problem here is that even within the Department of Health, and the Department of Health and the NHSC operate separately and they operate together depending on different bits. Actually, what do you want to do with this? Because one of the reasons you're never going to get movement on supervision is that there isn't the end in sight. Now, if somebody came to a table and said, we need to relax supervision because we want you to do more services and we want you to pay for more services and we want to get a contract that, let's say, is going to be partly supply and partly with services wrapped around it, which is certainly the intention you're seeing in most of the contracts, Let's have a conversation about how you need to flex supervision in the context of a change. The backdrop at the moment is the prescriptions are going up through the roof. You know, there's there's over a billion prescriptions dispensed in England, 100 million Mm -hmm. in Scotland, 76 million in Wales, a similar light-for-light basis in Northern Ireland. So that volume is going through the roof, which suggests something's got to give. But meanwhile, you've got a lot of locally commissioned services. It's haphazard, and those that are being commissioned are being decommissioned. So there isn't any appetite to have this debate anyway, so I totally agree yeah, yeah, with you. Yeah, yeah. Yes. But all I'm saying is that if all we want to do is argue about the size of the committee, what's no, no, happening, I'm with you, you know, happening, then we're, never, we're never going to get to it. Yeah. And I also, I also do take the point that at no point do we want to go in there and throw the baby out with the bathwater, and mm. I think your point, Tess, about having some kind of safe discussion.
3: Mm.
4: But you know, as it is at the moment, you, you know, you, you, you've got the Department of Health won't come to the table in England, they won't come to the table in Northern Ireland for different reasons. So it, it is pointless having any of these discussions unless somebody's prepared to take the whole thing in the round and look at it and think why are we having the discussions, where do we want to be and get some agreement on that. Because otherwise it becomes a pointless exercise. So
5: you're saying Which this feels quite about. detached from what else is going on in pharmacy at the moment, this, this, this kind of push, this one aspect of the uh, what the uh, balancing no, board no, is, no, is I, doing. I think, I think
1: it's absolutely clear that this is part of uh, an overall um, plan or strategy. Um, if you look at the direction of travel with with NHS England and um, with Department of Health through the documents that uh, came to light as a result of the judicial review, we can see that quite clearly there there is a, a desire to want to, uh, in some some respects, degrade the service. Um, the chief Pharmaceutical officer is on record as saying he wanted to decouple services from supply, for example. You know, I, I very much see this as as a step in a larger program. Um, to be honest, and. I suppose the, the danger in saying that is that you start to look like a conspiracy nut before too long. Um, the trouble is that there are dots in, in different parts of the sector. So I sit at, uh, in a fortunate position of having access to uh, quite a lot of information across different organisations. And you can start to see the trends and the directions of travel. They're quite clear if, if you're looking at the documents what they're, what they're trying to can achieve. Can I just ask, Just I do, we do
5: want to go on, I know, to what our readers... How our readers reacted to proposals but what is the conspiracy then? I mean if you don't sound like a conspiracy, where do you so, see the dots leading? What's so the Chief Pharmaceutical MSL? Officer last week was talking about
1: um, there not being a need for community pharmacy and fundamentally um, if you look at the direction towards automated large-scale dispensing um, you, you look towards um, the GP practice pharmacist program you can start to see actually if I was being malicious and malign I could have a lot of the clinical function going on within GP practices, and I could start to run pharmacies uh, with technicians or through automation um, in, a, in a very different way than we have now. For me, fundamentally, and the reason that we got to the point of writing a letter about this this issue, is that I feel that um, the unique selling point of community pharmacy is that presence of the clinical professional on the high street in a range of locations. And the minute we start to decouple that, we, we are really... Playing with fire because it becomes very difficult to um, to reinvent that um, that system if you start
3: to put it apart. People have been under um, talking down what community pharmacy does uh, and delivers, and actually we were partly guilty ourselves. Uh, you know, I know I've I've done it in speeches where. In order to emphasize to the wider public and to the profession that uh, we can do so much more within community pharmacy we've used the one of the, uh, the phrases of uh, pharmacy one of the most underutilized well that's actually or certainly in relation to the pharmacist and clinical aspect the most underutilized uh, a number of us have agreed never to use that again we knew what we meant However, it's not the way that some financial people have been looking at it, some people out with the profession haven't understood that that meant that there was more using our skill mix to better, better use. We could do so much more within those community pharmacies. Other people were seeing it more of a case of you know, underutilizing, and really delivering that, <laughs> right, yeah. and that sort of thing. And, and it opposite, wasn't, and that wasn't what, because mm-hmm. we all knew actually. We had the value for money. Community pharmacy. I think there's, there's figures and things all coming out. Yeah, yeah. Years. Absolutely pays for itself tenfold over, um, and we all know. And everyone's running ragged and with efficiency. Right? Uh, we've spoken before about hospital pharmacy has the skill mix and use of efficiency. Well, actually. When you look and go, oh, and you can learn all these things from, from community. Actually, community has been doing a lot of the things that have been doing in hospital. I know it's different scales with the things, but the skill the use of skill mix in many of the community pharmacies is 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 at its highest level. But that doesn't mean in certain pharmacies that you won't have a pharmacist doing a check. Now the reason that happens is if the scale is on a small scale, then actually you're still gonna Use that pharmacist occasionally to do that, uh, because it, you can't afford to have two people in a second person to do the check. And if that's the way it is, in order to keep that pharmacy going, that, that's how it happens. Now that's using at a lower skill level than what it could be done, but that's still in that pharmacy and actually working for one of those pharmacies. In that pharmacy. If a clinical a high level clinical thing came and happened, that would take the priority. I'd go in and do that thing and then that check would be done after. But you can't afford to have
2: I think it's realised that there will be. There's all sorts of different business models and and it's about it's about working practice being Mm -hmm. flexible enough to actually accommodate all Mm. of those different business models.
0: Exactly. Actually, those perfect mm. points bring in some of the the stats from our readers. So, mm. um, so two hundred and forty three pharmacists responded to um, our survey, and eighty five percent are against allowing pharmacy technicians to oversee the sale and supply of pharmacy and prescription only medicines. In principle, sixty um, percent of pharmacy technicians are in favour of taking on that responsibility. So, Tess, do you do you think pharmacy technicians are ready to to take on a, a bit more responsibility or what needs to happen for to realise this sort of skill mix um, yeah, and, sure. and
2: flexibility? Um, I think pharmacy technicians are ready to take on this this additional responsibility. I mean, I've got I've got here the UEA um, research that we did last year. APT UK and the University of East Anglia did a research where we um, asked uh, pharmacy technicians to respond to. Telling us about their their roles um, and identifying the roles of pharmacy technicians in the UK, um, the the community um, pharmacy technicians that responded, eighty three percent of them actually said that they wanted to take on more roles and more responsibility, and some of the quotes within the um, within the research were quite um, you know uh, eye opening really in that they felt that they had they were being held back and that they could, with the proper training and with the proper support, they could actually um, do more and help the pharmacists more in delivering the pharmacy services. So that came across very loud and clear. Um, and some of the recommendations that came out of that report was around um, building um, trust within the team and, and looking at more interprofessional relationships. Between pharmacists and pharmacy technicians mm. so I think that you know that is a piece of academic research that that gives us um, a flavor um, for moving forwards but as I said before it's around ensuring that we that as we do take on more roles that we're competent and well trained to actually do that and we're working within safe systems with protocols um, and with the governance and risk management that's that's in place um, to allow that to happen.
5: I mean, I think Tess makes an interesting point. Technicians are, you know, do, are ready to take take on the responsibility. I mean, it, it's interesting if you compare that 60% in favour to just, what, 15% of C&D re- readers who responded who were in favour of this. And uh, might you've made the point about look, taking a step back, or a lot of us have kind of took, took a step back and looked at, you know, where the profession's going. Does d- Should this send out warning signals to pharmacists who are worried that maybe there's a the Department of Health has a certain strategy in mind, and that's one of the reasons why they might be against it. But I guess 85% being against suggests to me... Sorry, what, what are they
4: against? Well, uh, this exactly. is my
5: point. So, they, so we've talked about this direction of travel and that being a concern, but I'd, I'd assume if there's 85% are against so a lot of them are against it fundamentally rather than just, well, I think that the timing of this implies... But, but that I, think,
4: a, I think part of the problem here is it's such as soon as you mention supervision mm-hmm. it's like oh the emotive issue straight away exactly and it, so and yeah. it goes right down it goes right down the uh, mike's route and and i get mike's point on it it goes down the route that says if we go down this this route whatever this route is we're going to make pharmacists redundant or take them out of the game that's that's how people think about it because anytime you mention the word supervision it automatically gets translated to you mean pharmacists, uh, pharmacies without pharmacists. Yes, and I don't mean that. I'd no. never mean that. I would never say I have a pharmacy without a pharmacist. I'd pharmacist. I'd never advocate that. I would have a discussion about how you can look at alternative models for doing things and look at ways of doing things and making better use Thank of technicians. You. Quite happy with that. But you start, the problem is we start with supervision. What does supervision mean? Because it's not defined anywhere. What does it mean? It means what we make it mean. And in a lot of pharmacists' case, supervision means doing a final check on every prescription. Now for me, that's a bit pointless. And what happens is people say, no, you can't say that because, actually, my neck's on the block. But the, the chief executive of Costain's neck on the block when a train goes off the rails, that doesn't mean he has to check every bolt. It does mean he's responsible for it or he's accountable for it. He has to have systems in place or be in charge of systems in place to make this happen. And what ha- I think what happens with this, partly from what I said earlier, because the context isn't right for this, because the context has to be a bigger context about, we can have a conversation about, let's call it relaxing supervision, that's another emotive topic, but let's talk about reconfiguring, however you want it to be, flexing supervision, when we define what we mean by supervision, but in the bit wider context of what we want to do. Because otherwise, it's a completely pointless and sterile debate that just ends nowhere with everybody going, well, I'm not going to have that conversation because I don't know where you're going with it. So
1: John is absolutely right. Context is king. And right now, I I think uh, community pharmacy feels like it's under siege. Mm, Absolutely. Uh, It feels like it's under threat from all sorts of different angles. Now, um, what was it? Sue Sharp once said, uh, she said, um, I may be paranoid, but it it doesn't mean they're not out to get me, (laughs) (laughs) which is a a great way of saying, actually, Sometimes there is, um, there is some fire where the smoke is. Um, you know, I, I do accept your, your point about um, wanting to look at these proposals in, in the round, John. Uh, I think we've got to uh, consider how we can make community pharmacies easier for patients to deal with in the future. Now, fundamentally, um, if we put barriers in the way, then it will drive people away from community pharmacy, and that's the last thing that I want. I think it's the last thing anyone around this table would want. It's not necessarily where the government's coming from. It's coming from the the point of a low-cost service um, stripping as much um, cost out of the system as possible. We've seen that with the the funding cuts. uh, We're just about to start in next year another round of of negotiations. I can only see that ending in one one way. Fundamentally, we need to change the system, and that may be the the contract, uh, the levers, whether it's removing the um, links to volume and margin, whether it's about uh, driving more services, uh, clinical services through community pharmacy. Yeah, th- those are things we want to see. So when you look at the difference in opinion, for example, of people in Scotland towards supervision, they're actually much more relaxed about the, um, the prospect of changing the system, because they've got trust in a, in a chief pharmaceutical officer who wants to drive positive change in the, syst- in the system. Um, they've got uh, stable funding and they've got a, a platform of, of services that they're currently delivering and there's value that there is clearly value for the government in what they're doing you know, we feel that we're being
5: undermined so is this an English sort of side oh, yeah. really quickly interrupt but is this basically an English problem what we're saying that actually fundamentally supervision and what you know Tes and uh, the to UK feels you know they can be empowered to do is no one has a problem with that in principle, it's purely because the context in England is no, no, feeling undermined no, no, by no, no, the government no, it's, or it's, more it's fundamental. No, no, it's a
4: UK issue no. because supervision, in, in a, in a, however we define it, what we mean by supervision, supervision underpins the, the pharmacy offer. And, and, and if, you, if you look at it, we need the context, but if you just look at it one way, you could argue that if we carry on doing what we're doing, which is in essence what we've been doing for, I don't know, give or take 150 years, then you become redundant you see I, I don't i don't even sorry i don't even no. buy sorry just no. i don't even buy necessarily you know i don't disagree with anything you said mike and certainly everything you read and everything you look at doesn't make you paranoid and does you think there's a, there's a direction on it but you know the, the very simplistic thing let's say from the keith ridge end of it is i think he said you can replace pharmacy with i don't know you only need two or three robots four robots four robots right so you need four robots but actually the two people who've got the robots that we're aware of are uh, Lloyds. I don't know whether you call them Lloyds or AAH or Silesio or McKesson, but McKesson have a robot and uh, Alliance. What is it? What are they called? Boots, Walgreens, and yeah, like, yeah, Wag. Bro, bro, Walgreens, whatever. That whatever. <laughs> Walls, Green, Lions, Boots, whatever they're, Walgreens. They have a robot. They've been building these for, I think, 10 years to my knowledge, and none of them are functioning. So that's 10 years coming. The robot of sorts that is functioning as Pharmacy to you, who are dispensing 220,000 prescriptions a month from a pharmacy, it is a pharmacy, it's, they go around and say it's the largest pharmacy in the UK because it is. It's doing 220,000 prescriptions a month. But they're losing a load of money. So just to take that forward, if you replace pharmacy as it is now, if you did that and said we're gonna replace it with two or four robots, it's, it's gonna be worse off than it is now. Because they're getting the money you're getting and losing money. Yeah. So all I'm saying is, it, 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 when you come to it, at some point, you get to a point where you go, I'm going to sign this off. You're going to replace pharmacy with this? Do you get what I mean? I, I don't think so. And I think mm. it picks up on your point, Martin, and we're going a bit off the supervision, although it's all one and the same thing. Actually, what is the real business case for pharmacy? Pharmacy. And it isn't just about a PWC report on my own, it's about everything it provides to local communities, so to the infrastructure, sure. and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, for me, John,
1: it's about that instant on demand access to a, to a healthcare professional in a range of locations. Yeah. And that is what I, uh, I want to try and protect, preserve, and. Yeah.
3: On the definition, it was very interesting you, you put out there about the definition of supervision. Uh, and certainly in our time, or our time, uh, we've seen that definition move. So at one stage, you would have had the time when uh, the, well, I'm guessing at one stage a pharmacist was having to be knowledgeable of all interactions. Then we had the ring of the bell. Holding up never ever remember that? <laughs> I always remember as a pre-reg having I remember, to hold up. I remember hearing about it, but I never uh, saw it. Nah, nah, ring, ringing the bell, and I, I remember some, holding up some pretty things that you didn't really want to be holding up. Ringing the bell, and a pharmacist nodding. So that, that was then decided you didn't have to do that anymore. Under the protocols, you could move that. That was an agreement with supervision. We then, further movement of supervision was MURs. Uh, When MURs came in, uh, that was the old Law and Ethics Committee I was uh, sitting on at the time, made a declaration that uh, actually, uh, so even though the law and no actual uh, test case had gone through, the professional body, which was also the regulator at the time, uh, said that actually you being in a consultation room, you could still, as long as you were on the premises, you could still supervise. Uh, So we actually moved supervision at that point. Uh, We could move it again. Uh, if we really want to, and there's various things. Now, I believe fundamentally, the pact that we have with the public uh, is that you want a pharmacy degree to be the, the person level, to be the level at which is the gatekeeper to the medicines. Now, that is at, at the overarching level. Now, we know at the moment, you know, there are many, many sales within P medicines, uh, GsLs, etc., that are happening on the protocols that you don't actually go anywhere near. It's just, you've got the protocols in place, that is still supervision, the pharmacist is able to intervene if necessary, they're present and so on. The same with the dispensing, we can we can discuss where you are with the prescriptions as to what level that should be, because uh, it may be that again, with certain ones, if the clinical check's been done, that's it, the pharmacist never goes anywhere near it again. But they will have made fundamentally the decision at the beginning, at that assessment, clinical check, call it what you want, whether they need to interfere, intervene again. What's interesting though, and it came up from, certainly I think, again, something you pointed out, something that Tess and I had had discussions of three three years ago, and it's this professional discussion that we had. We discovered that actually, the, one of the biggest log jams at the moment to better development and better use of skill mix is actually the not recognising, every pharmacist should immediately recognise if you are working with an ACP, an accuracy pharmacy checking technician who is also a registered pharmacy technician, so not an accuracy checker. No, if you're an accuracy checker and you're a pharmacy technician, if you've got all of them together, we should have proper formal recognition of that. If we have formal recognition of that group, and at one stage we were asking for, it as possible, annotation uh, of of the GPH register or some other sort of formal recognition, then that potentially take away that that, that, that pharmacist who's a bit nervous, who's saying, oh, no, I'm not sure, I want to let go, I want to be a final turn. Actually, you say, no, that's not appropriate anymore. You've got this now recognized thing. That moves and releases the skill mix, gives the confidence to the pharmacist, gives a, 10 times more than actually just throwing it all up in the air and changing uh, a law that actually only Alters whether a pharmacist is present or not, which is very, but, but if you just look at that, that proper formal recognition that isn't there at the moment. It's just eclectic. You have accuracy checkers. You have accuracy checkers who are technicians, ones who aren't, uh, and none of them formally recognised. Uh, whereas if it's formally recognised, it's also recognised by the insurers as well as the professional body, uh, which makes a hell of a difference.
0: Is it interesting that you you pick up on sort of specific scenarios that? Um, might uh, allow uh, pharmacy technicians to supervise in the future. And these, I think, two were outlined um, in the the, the, the proposals. Um, and we put mm. discussions, shall mm. I call them discussions? Yes. Um, so we put these two C um, and D readers. That's not supervising.
3: That's checking. Checking. That's a little bit different. Correct.
0: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so in the first scenario, pharmacy tech technicians could supervise the sale of. Of uh, family packs of analgesics um, and a pharmacist involvement would only be sought if red flags um, were shown. Um so it was quite interesting to see that 45% of pharmacists um, pharmacists that responded to our survey were in favour of amending that the sort of wording around that and the, amending the legislation to our pharmacy technicians to oversee that's that situation. And uh, perhaps unsurprisingly, 83% of pharmacy technicians um, were in also, in favour of overseeing that scenario, and um, that we had comments that w- this scenario is already in our scope. our um, mm. technicians already have relevant knowledge and skills in that situation. Um, so, I'd like to put it to the group. Where, so, where so, do you so, think um, that, that's actually
1: interesting? Um, you say necessary knowledge and skills, but actually, there's a huge variation because, um, Tess, you know, what percentage of the technician register is grandfathered?
2: Um, I don't know exactly what proportion of it, but what I would say. It's a high proportion,
1: though, isn't so it?
2: It's a fairly. I mean, we've got, there are, there are about 23,000 pharmacy technicians on the register as of June, I think it was. That was the number, 23,300 something. Um, but what I would say around that is yes, there are variations in um, baseline qualifications because of uh, grandparenting, but we are six years down the road from the opening of the register. But the so percentage
1: of people who are grandfathered is actually going up, not down.
2: No, it's not, because it, 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 is. it can't be, because the register doesn't allow that that function to happen now. No, that was only during... Because new, new,
1: more newly qualified technicians are actually leaving the profession.
5: Well, I think the issue, what we're getting into here, yeah. is more to do with training and whether they're trained. And I think Absolutely. one thing we should... The, the, the discussions and finish the document do work on the assumption that everyone would be... Currently uh, qualified technicians would have to be upskilled and obviously mm. trained. I think, I think, and key, I think we're working on that is, basis, no, no, no. Yeah. but the key word is competence. I think the
4: thing is that at the moment it's very much a quality control thing. You go, you wait for a prescription in the broad sense. I'm, I'm moving away from OTC broad sense. You wait for a prescription to be written. You look at that prescription and you'll check the prescription. You know that's a bit variable how that goes. I don't disagree with anything you yeah, said about yeah, yeah. The, the, the clinical assessment. I don't disagree with that. Yeah. And if you do a clinical assessment on a prescription that's let's say a re- repeat, why would you do that six times if it's yeah. a six-month repeat? So yeah, yeah. do the clinical assessment. But actually the competence thing, which is you talked about earlier, Tess, nobody should do anything beyond their competence. No, absolutely. You know that, that's, that's, yes. And if you look at pharmacists prescribing, that's exactly how that's mm. based. Uh, the, the, the best example I use for that is dentists. A dentist can write a prescription for anything but they don't because they'd have to stand amongst their peers and justify, actually they'd have to stand in front of a court and say, why did you write that prescription for an antidepressant when you're a dentist? In the same way that if a pharmacist wrote wrote a prescription for a product or for a clinical condition for which they had no competence, they, they wouldn't pass muster. And I, I don't see it being any, You know, we're talking here about registered professionals. Mm. Mike makes a good point about the grandfathering, but I think you're always going to have this. You, you have it in pharmacy now where you have somebody, me, <laughs> Let's say I went to one of your pharmacies and said, don't worry, Mike, I'll take over. You'd want your bolts tightened if you let me in there. You know, because, and I wouldn't go in there because I wouldn't feel competent, I'm not to speed on it. So there has to be a competency regime. And 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 you're right to say that's kind of almost
1: underpinning it. But you've got, uh, for example, a parallel with um, the veterinary regs, which allow pharmacists to to deem who is competent. Mm -hmm. So from my perspective, one thing I'm slightly concerned about is a blanket authorization for, for pharmacy technicians because in my business, it's very difficult to recruit, it's very difficult to train, it's very difficult to retain pharmacy technicians. Um, so for, from my perspective, maximum flexibility is what I'm looking for. So Martin made a point about accuracy checkers there. In reality, the only way of me re-engineering my skill mix within my business would be to use accuracy checkers, not accuracy checking technicians, because it would take... A minimum of two to three years to train uh, somebody from even the MBQ2 standard to the required um, point where they can check a prescription. Now, um, that is great, but you lose people along the way. Training takes longer. Um, you get uh, people moving in and out of, uh, out of employment. So, I, I find it very difficult to to accept uh, those sorts of handcuffs. I, I want can I just
2: respond to that a little bit? Because um, in in terms of um, the pharmacy technicians leaving community pharmacy often they are leaving because they've got aspirations and ambitions that they want to progress um, and they want to develop so many i mean you know it it is said that they move to hospital pharmacy because they can progress there so surely it's about actually recognising that that's an issue and actually supporting a proper career pathway and a development to keep them in community where a lot of them, that's where their passion is and they want to stay there, but they want to be able to develop and utilise their the economic, knowledge and skills. The economic
1: reality for a lot of people is they, want, they move to, to hospital pharmacy because salaries are, are higher. And there is more opportunity as you say for them it's to there's develop. There's more
2: opportunity, I think that's But a base, salaries,
1: base salaries for a newly qualified technician are hugely different. If, from that, to if
3: that recognition was in place, I think there would be more people moving in that in that, that in that direction. I mean, it's about
2: movement two <laughs> ways, because yeah. I, I you know community pharmacy would, would hugely benefit from pharmacy technicians moving from hospital to community and vice versa. And it's about how we manage that um, that environment to allow that to happen. For, for the benefit of patients at the end of the day, and that's what we've got to think about. What is going to be of most benefit to the patients wherever they're using their pharmacy services?
3: Spe- specifically on the OTC one, though, yeah. uh, 1.6 million people are visiting pharmacies every day. Some are collecting scripts, some are uh, making those purchases. The vast majority of those interactions are being done by the counter-assistants. Mm-hmm and uh, the vast majority of those sales have probably been done on the protocols. Pharmacists, are super. again, this is where I don't understand what we're trying to solve, uh, is, are being done by the pharmacist that has overarching supervision, but doesn't go anywhere near it. Actually, I'm, I'm lucky I can still overhear and I'm able to intervene. Uh, but I know that isn't the case in a lot of places, and I'm glad I, I, I still work in a pharmacy that can do that. Uh, and that's not to say that 90% of the time, those interactions are done very well. Uh, but I think what is interesting, though, is in uh, in places when I've had a pharmacy technician working with me as well as counter-assistance, uh, my pharmacy technician has been brilliant at doing what they need to do, Help run that dispensary, make sure that, uh, you know, everything's happening there. However, their knowledge of what's at ha- the counter has gone down year on year after they've finished their course. Uh, and actually, they would don't feel happy and would rather not go out on the counter at all, uh, you know, under, almost under any it, it, different different pharmacy technicians, different things. But that's because they're experts at doing what they do, running that dispensary. And that's what I want them to do. Mm. But to have someone then who is potentially less competent than the person, uh, the supervisor someone who's less competent uh, is, is also a, a, difficult, a difficult one. I just don't see what we're trying to solve there. The present system works very well under protocols. The amount of sales that happen in those pharmacies under the present protocols seems pretty damn efficient to me. Well, from
5: there, if we want to move on to the second scenario, so if that's looking at OTC, and this was on repeat prescriptions was the other example given in the documents, um, whether pharmacy technicians could supervise the sale of repeats without the awareness of a pharmacist where a clinical check had already been carried out. Now, interestingly, this had uh, less support from pharmacist respondents with just 36% saying they would be comfortable with amending legislation. Um, commenters in particular concerned about the liability of supply errors and when, whether that liability would still lie with them. But in comparison, again, 71% of pharmacy technicians, so not quite as many as the OTC example, but still a significant um, majority said they would be comfortable supervising this scenario. Um, it, what do we think about that test? I want to start with you. That's quite an yeah. obviously a very different example, but yeah. one of the two well, that the four picked
2: out. I mean, and I think it goes back you know, to both what John and, and, um, and Martin were saying about um, it, it's kind of a process, isn't it? If the that repeat prescription as being clinically um, signed off as being appropriate for that patient, the rest of the process could actually be undertaken by um, registered staff, well, unregistered staff and registered staff actually assembling final accuracy checking um, and with a registered professional actually issuing that medicine to the patient at the point when the patient comes in to receive it. If nothing else has happened, And there are protocols, there are are the WAM questions that could be utilised at that point of issue. Um, You know, nothing else has changed within that patient. Why does that patient have to wait until the pharmacist is there to be able to say yes, that can go? I mean, we've got the scenario where repeats would actually be given to um, a delivery driver to to deliver to a patient. So that actually is being the bridge. repeat prescription is being handed over to the patient by um, a non-registered um, member of staff without any qualifications. So why, what is the, the difference in a repeat prescription that has been clinically appropriately checked, checked for accuracy, ready to be collected? I, can't, I can see that that could be a task that could be undertaken by a registered pharmacy technician who has had training to an appropriate level. If there is anything that becomes uh, apparent in a conversation when you're giving that medicine to a patient, that anything has changed, that they've started taking, they've been to the doctors recently since the prescription was was requested, they've got more medicines, they've bought more OTCs, then at that point it's a red flag and then you would think about referring it to the pharmacist. That, to me, seems quite a safe process. It is, it is a process. I don't want to, um, you know, go back to thinking what's happening in hospital and community all the time, but that does actually happen in, in hospital pharmacy. You've got all the prescriptions are clinically checked, the rest of the process, including issuing it to the patient, unless the pharmacist has flagged um, at that time that they actually want to um, issue that supply to the patient because they want a, a further discussion, then the rest of it would be done by um, by other staff. Okay, great. I
5: wonder what
3: I the rest of the table says that. If and where, so it's it's looking at that assurances of what is the repeat prescription I suppose. So firstly looking at things that was it England and Wales thing, is it the RAs and the RDs. So where you've had an RA, you've had the first one where the doctor signed it, uh, and if a pharmacist, therefore, has done a clinical check, I suppose what we're saying in that scenario, you've done a clinical check of that prescription at that point, and if nothing at all had changed, then those other scripts are what I then technically call clones because if we use repeats, we get into, fall into this you know, what is repeat and so on and so forth. But if that is an exact clone of what, and nothing has changed at all, then like with tests, then you're looking and going, oh, you know, is, is that potential? Now I would still argue that the pharmacist is still supervising the whole batch. They've decided, again under the protocol, that if so still the superficial law doesn't have to change, uh, they've, they're supervising that whole batch that's being done uh, and which is being done but what's important there is you've got a system in place that makes that guarantee that they are clones and that there's, there's no change because the other bit that the English Board uh, agreed and supported with which was an initi- initiative I took forward at high level but we've never taken it forward any further with the Royal College of General Practitioners and it was the idea that actually that they could take responsibility for uh, annotating was the word I used back then and actually annotation causes confusion. So let's say make it a differentiation between a prescription that was a true repeat with nothing having changed but the doctor making that judgment. So someone, a professional has still made at that level and they're literally saying there's no, no change at all on that. And this was a way and, and then the other ones are new or changed. Either something's changed, and there's been new tests done. Oh, yes, how often does, uh, that, does so, that happen? Then? No, 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 It's not. So it doesn't happen at the moment. But this was it. an idea of what could happen yeah, because, it, and what it was to do in a, an address was one of the other big elephants in the room. And I think you mentioned it about clinical checks. At the moment, technically, we're meant to do a clinical check on everything. Actually, what we know, it's dosage checks that are generally being done by a lot of pharmacists out there, rather than clinical checks. Some clinical checks are being done, not as many and not to the extent, but wouldn't it be great if we actually had a system in play whereby you could filter and do a full blown clinical check, which I hope is what happens at the hospital. It's what I dream hope happens in hospital, where the, the hospital pharmacist is if given the time. But you can only do that if you're focusing on the 30% at the higher level. So and that's not abrogating responsibility on the other prescriptions. Martin, just to disagree with you slightly on. On, on the... Um
1: the point of um, previously unchanged prescriptions. Mm. So something that's always changed, and that's time. Mm. Yeah, that, that has changed no matter um, no, no matter what you do. So, in the example that you gave there, you got a repeat dispensing um, bundle for a patient. Mm. Actually, one of the key metrics is are they picking it up around around about the right mm. time? You know, are they using the medicines properly? So, you can have a perfectly valid prescription. Um, that uh, might be identical to the previous month, but they've left it six weeks rather than four weeks. Yeah. What yeah, have they exactly been doing in the meantime? So th- there is something that uh, yeah, know, I, 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 I do fundamentally disagree with this this prospect that you can crystallise in time um, that that prescription mm-hmm. and it remains the same forever. You know, I've seen repeat dispensing batch issues with with methotrexate on, for example, and you know why was that on there in the first place? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um But well, if with
0: Adequate training and competency in that scenario, would, would you be happy, feel comfortable with a pharmacy technician overseeing that in future?
1: So, I just want to say something. You know, I'm not anti-technician. No. I, was, I was brought up in a hospital pharmacy. I did hospital pre-reg. I worked as a basic gradient in a hospital. I'm very familiar with the way that, that hospitals um, set up their dispensaries. What I am is pro-pharmacist, and that means that I want to, to see pharmacists integrally uh, linked with pharmacies, where we can provide the Benefit of our skills, knowledge, and training to be able to help patients. So, you know, I, yeah, we've we've moved away slightly to s- these specific scenario. So, in this specific instance, you know, I, I probably would be more at the um, the extreme end of the spectrum in in not allowing that. But from my perspective, you know, I've got great confidence in my team around me. You know, I'm running my business now, and I'm not I'm not in contact with my business because I trust the people I work with every day. You know, and that's the beauty of being a small independent contractor is you can work with people that that you know you like, that you can you can get to trust. I, I suppose um, I trust those people perhaps more than I would trust a qualification. Um, and accepting Tess's point about about you know grandfathering being a, an issue um, in pharmacy as as much as it is in in technician circles, but. To blanket authorize one group to do something, I think, is, is dangerous. Perhaps I'd be more comfortable. With the responsible pharmacist
3: or the supervising pharmacist. Being slightly misinterpreted my blanket authorizer. I've, 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 that, I've authorized them the to get on with it. I've authorized the, 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 the them yeah. to get no. <laughs> Well, if I can just clarify Sorry. on that, on what I've been d- said, that I've blanket authorized. Like, what I'd said is authorized them to get on with it within protocols. However, the pharmacist is still supervising it happening and is but, present but to intervene that, if necessary. That but you'd set various protocols. But I
4: think think the thing about it is that it's exactly that. It's about having flexibility. Mm. It's not necessarily mandating anybody to do anything. So if you don't feel comfortable with any of this, you can Mm. do it. Now, I know Mm -hmm. there's competition issues associated with that. But just taking your point, Mike, you know, I agree with everything Mike says on that, that a pharmacist without, a, sorry, a, ph- I the wrong a pharmacy without a pharmacist isn't a pharmacy. It's, he said that. but it's, it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, it, well, it, it's, it's, sorry, but yeah. it's, that, 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 you know, you've got to have the pharmacist there. I think the question is then there's a bit of a, bit of a debate about what does it mean by there? Because mm. it, now yes. you'd be responsible pharmacist when you're away for two hours. Now my point was, well, two hours becomes three hours, becomes four hours becomes six mm. weeks or whatever. You know, your point where you feel very comfortable because you've got a team of people there that you can do that, that's exactly where you should be in a business. You should have a support mm-hmm. team behind you yeah. that can do the right things. And you would be very comfortable, I would have thought, going through all of your staff, comfortable with what they do, comfortable about their competencies and so on, you can define that. You also made the point, Mike, I think you made it, my <laughs> test. is you, you you're saying that what you want to do is you want to make best use of your skills within the pharmacy. Yeah, definitely. And for me, I'm thinking to myself, when you have this debate and I still don't move away from the context, but if you're having this debate, you're thinking about actually what can we do? How can we create the maximum flexibility to allow pharmacists to make the best use of their skills? Because mm. that's how you protect yourself for the future. Quite so if job. we take something, if we just take something like the repeats, if if whatever it is, we debate the figures, 85%, 65%. If they're repeats, and you you know, we, we make the assumption that pharmacists do this clinical assessment. Well, work it out. A billion prescriptions. Say there's four items on a prescription. 250 million prescriptions. Are 250 clinical assessments being done? You know, that's probably not something we want on the record. But you know, I mean, are they are they really being done? And how long is that taking? Or whatever. But if you can create some headroom by eliminating routine type assessments that don't change the same repeat prescription where there are no issues or whatever. And at the same time, I would say, taking your methotrexate point, having, for example, using technology, that that gets flagged up. So you'd have a red flag that you says... Can, you could do all of this with existing,
1: within existing skill mixture. On. There's no need to change supervision in order to, to do any of those things.
4: Well, you so see, what? I, yeah, except you will get a lot of pharmacists who won't, for example, do an MUR because they want to check every prescription.
3: But so that's t- solved by the accuracy... Well, in my well, opinion, that no, could no, be solved by that. equity check. I'm saying it's, it's not, it's not about, by it's moving on from the clinical check. It's, it's not being solved for now. For the flexibility for isn't being that used that by hand, everybody. But so it it doesn't, it. the supervision law doesn't affect that change at all. The supervision law is only about a couple of a few lines. And the only thing that the supervision law allows is for there not to be a pharmacist present. If you change it, there is nothing that you've said there that isn't can't be done within that supervision law all if you alter it the only new thing that will happen within that law is you can then operate legally and do those transactions without a pharmacist and the stat that I'll give yeah. about the clinical checks in particular the best uh, news for community pharmacy that ever came out the best stat I can ever quote was done by the General Medical Council so in research that they've done uh, they've shown, and as I say, I'd like to see clinical checks on even better, uh, but they showed and demonstrated that we pharmacists inter- intercept 45 million dispensing errors prescribing, errors, prescribing errors, I should say, prescribing errors, mm-hmm. <laughs> not dispensing errors, of which 1.8 million on the GMC spectrum are classed as severe to fatal. Mm-hmm. So, you throw the baby out the bathwater if you, if you I, don't. I
2: would kind of come there. in on that as mm. well and say, yeah, I haven't got any figures, but I can categorically say that I know that pharmacy technicians do that too.
5: Mm. And that yes, actually, all, during
2: their accuracy checking, although it is a process check, mm. they do actually pick up clin- oh, clinical errors. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Guys, cool.
0: quick, as I, I'm just conscious of time. <laughs> we'll just wrap up the, the debate um, and bring it back to mm. kind of supervision and these. Mm. these proposals, or plans, or discussions that we have in place, what, what are the next steps? Where do we go from here? Do, are you encouraged by the idea of this public consultation um, off the back of said proposals or, or plans? Perhaps um, if
5: we go around each one, to, to, yeah, s- to yeah. wrap it up the way, to make sure I know everyone's got a lot to say at the end, so if we try our best to condense down the final thoughts and that in, maybe if we start with Mike and work around the table, we don't want to miss anyone out before we finish. So as I said to you earlier, um,
1: Consultations um, from the government are are often um, just a a part of the process. They're they're just something they do because they've got to do it to tick a box. From my perspective, engaging early and and generating uh, what has been quite a a lively and healthy debate within the profession Mm -hmm. is actually the right thing to do. So I I don't agree that, that you should only consult on these things when you've made your mind up about what the proposals look like. I think the value for me and, and certainly one of the, the problems with the rebalancing board is there are actually relatively few frontline practising professionals around the table. So actually adding more, more people who've got a frontline view I think would have been more valuable um, and that's, that's one of the things which I think limits the ability of the rebalancing board to come out with sensible proposals. Um, in terms of where we go next, um, you know, I'd really like to see more transparency, I, and I don't think that's the, the Partners Forum necessarily, because I've got very little faith that, that that's anything other than a, uh, another tick box exercise. Um, it hasn't happened, I think Partners Forums last happened 18 months ago, two years ago. Yes, because there were no proposals forthcoming, but there have been discussions going on, on the rebalancing board in that time. Surely you want to keep your stakeholders updated on the, on the development of those discussions. Where I want to see um, pharmacists is in pharmacies making a difference with their knowledge, skills, and, and training to patients. It's my patients that, that I'm, I'm concerned about. I want to, you know, I feel that I, I'm there to add extra safety into the process, but in terms of the quality, you know, the quality is added by pharmacy when you have conversations with people when you are able to to use those skills to make a positive impact, either on you know a patient's clinical condition or on their understanding of their clinical condition or medicines, you know, that's where the value is added here, and that's where I want to see pharmacists. If you start to decouple this, uh, the link between the pharmacist and the pharmacy, which I think um, to me feels instinctively like what the gov- the government are, are trying to do here, then I think that that could be a really slippery slope for the future.
2: Okay. Um, Well, um, I mean I I agree in in part with what Mike is saying, it's around, uh, for me it's about anything being an enabler in actually helping the pharmacy team deliver um, the pharmacy services that are needed and keeping community pharmacy at the heart and it being a place where uh, patients have got access to um, healthcare professionals. Um, I think there's around, there's around flexibility that is needed within the system to allow different activities and tasks to take place um, where they can be de- delivered by the right person with the right skills and the right competence at the right time. And I think that changes in legislation and supervision could allow that flexibility. Um, whatever. And I think going back to thinking about the skills um, and the competence of the pharmacy technician. It is about actually ensuring that there is a safe process um, for any changes and any different um, different methods of working to take place. Patient safety needs to be at the, the, is paramount to this. It needs to be top of the list, and it's it's the top of the list for for all of us for the whole profession. But I think it's 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 allowing the profession to actually. Now feel where where does pharmacy want to place itself? Because I think if we have too many, there are too many barriers in the place. I think that we're going to miss out on innovation for pharmacy and allowing um, pharmacy to move forward to, to the place that we that we want it to be. Um, so just thinking about the this, this kind of the skill mix and competence, there are already. Um, Uh, The HEE actually have have put out a a tender recently to um, look at delivering a a leadership programme for community pharmacy technicians. So this is about maybe upskilling the the grandparented um, uh, pharmacy technicians or or whoever. Um, APT UK, we've got a foundation um, uh, framework that can support that next level um, of competence. So I think it's about thinking about all of these things in in a context and actually not putting barriers there, but thinking about what we want at the end of, what the vision is at the end for patients and how we get to that and being an open profession that we can actually debate that sensibly without being offensive to any professional or any profession or any professional individual because there has been some of that creeping into um, debates, and, and I feel that's very sad.
3: Very much patient care, uh, it's ensuring that we, uh, we have that, that pact as I say, with, the, uh, with the public, uh, whereby at the moment the gatekeeper to medicines is, is the pharmacist, and it's set at a pharmacy degree uh, plus the pre-registration year. Uh, and that's the proper proper level at which the gatekeeping for that is. Uh, the, f- the public know that that's how uh, those, those pharmacies operate. It works well for 1.6 million daily interactions, 1 billion prescriptions being dispensed, all those inter- uh, interventions that I mentioned. Uh, those things are working well. Uh, you, uh, you're peril, you risk uh, interfering and in, in, in altering uh, those things. Um So yeah, very much saying that that is where we uh, we, we, we you know there, there is no reason to be uh, to be moving away from that at the moment.
1: Mm.
4: Not lot left to be said really. <laughs> uh,
3: so Safety is paramount.
4: That's the number one thing. So the service has to be as safe as it can be, uh, and that's probably the strongest position pharmacy is in. It is a very safe service. It picks up on mm-hmm. on prescribing areas, but it also picks up others. And I do agree that that's. That's uh, shared out amongst different bits of the profession. The, I, I go back to it. The, this, this debate, great to have the discussion. You know, It's something we should look at, something we should think about. But the debate will never move forward. It will always be sterile when it's held in a vacuum. And it's the wrong way around.
5: Mm.
4: In any business, in any profession, if you want to take things forward, you usually want to do something differently. And then you think, have we got the right people to do this? Have we got the right structures to do that? How do we reconfigure? We're trying to reconfigure. When we're actually, it's not even we're looking at the same thing, we're looking at a worse position. So we're trying to reconfigure a profession, we're being asked to reconfigure ourselves when we're walking over a cliff. You know, it's the wrong way around. So you can't look at this without looking at a much, much bigger, I think you used the word vision test. You need a vision. You know, we, we, I don't know how many papers we've written about what a possible future for pharmacy is, but they tend to have a lot of similarities, and they just tend to get rubbish by the Department of Health. who don't want to talk about how pharmacy can do more to local communities, And that's what we're talking about, doing more to local communities. Mm -hmm. At a time when, you know, taking what you were saying, Mike, at a time when GPs are disappearing, Mm -hmm. at a time when you can't get access to a GP, you can't get access to a hospital, you can't get access to anybody, you can definitely get access to a pharmacy, they seem to want to kill that off. I just can't understand it. So what we want to be doing is is building on what we've got, do more of it. So in terms of uh, let's decide what it is we want to do, uh, get some agreement on that, and then work backwards and think, are we gonna do it with the current structures? And in as much as we can do whatever we need to do within current structures, that's fine. We can't ignore the fact that there seems to be some intention to put loads and loads of pharmacists into GP surgeries and they're making money available for that. The action's in the pharmacy, not particularly in the GP surgery. And what we don't wanna do is become barefoot doctors. We want to build upon our own professional strengths. And building on professional strength is about not just the pharmacist, but it's about building on all parts of the pharmacy team. So let's have the discussion by all means, but let's have the discussion in the round and let's have a discussion about it rather than how big the table is.
0: Fantastic. Great words to Thank you very, very much. And thank you, everyone, for joining us today. Um, and thank you for the CND readers for contributing to the debate with the, with the survey as well. You can uh, keep up to date with all of CND's coverage on pharmacy supervision on chemist and um, Thank you for listening and, again, thank you very much to you guys. Cheers. Thank, thank you. you. Yeah, okay.